the most connected man in Washington, WSB's Jamie Dupree. He's on every day with Herman Cain, 1106 AM every day. Sponsored by Charter Communications on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We are the greatest nation in the world. A breath of fresh air. Common sense. Very impressive. He's articulate and he knows exactly what we need. Herman Cain. Herman Cain. Solutions for a better America. This is your host, Herman Cain. Thank you for joining us because you know we are going to tell you the truth. We're going to give you the facts because we want you to be informed and inspired to help make this a better America. Breaking news. Breaking news every day with Herman Cain and the most connected man in Washington, Jamie Dupree. Hello, Jamie. Hey, Herman. How you doing today? I'm great. I am a little surprised that Jay Johnson said they are going to adhere to the ruling by that judge. Well, it's just a reminder that in the legal arena, uh, sometimes yes. when you get a temporary uh, injunction in this case, you have to watch it. And what I think is interesting, remember, first off, this was to be the day, Herman, today, that some of the millions of people here in the U.S. illegally could start to apply for legal status under the executive actions of the president. Today was the right. day, step one, for the expanded DACA program. That's for the so-called dreamers, the children who had been brought to the U.S. illegally by their parents. Yes. I was reading a couple of stories today about people who had all their documents ready. They were ready to go online and apply. And as I wrote my blog at JamieDupree.com, it was up there yesterday. Now it's not up there anymore, saying that February 18th was the day that that was going to start. And, you know, because of what this judge did down in Texas, if the administration decides to appeal, and they're going to, this temporary uh, injunction... I don't sense that they're going to uh, ask for, an, as at least right now, they're not asking for an emergency stay to that res- to that temporary injunction. Right. So that means that that judge's ruling will stay in effect as this moves up the chain. So it would, I would guess, go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals next, and then from there possibly to the U.S. Supreme Court. So this may not be something that just say, oh, in another week, you know what I mean, Herman? They've thrown that out and we've moved on. This may last for a number of months. Right. Uh, theoretically, it could get to the U.S. Supreme Court, and actually it could get there more than just in one way. So, yeah, right now, the, uh, the executive actions of the president are on hold. Sort of interesting that all of the fighting, all of the, the effort, the heat, the talk, the yelling and everything in the Congress about it, and it just takes one federal judge who's able to put it all on hold. What if they had defied that judge's order? What would have happened? Well, I would assume that the state of Texas would have been able to go up the chain of command and, you know, go up to the Fifth Circuit and and then to the U.S. Supreme Court. And there was probably a fight that the administration didn't want to have to battle. You know, look, the Fifth Circuit is going to be a little more conservative, and uh, the chances of the Obama administration winning in that venue may not be as good. You know... I think that it's it is a legal roadblock, obviously, for the administration. Now, I don't. Again, as I said yesterday, we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves. The judge did not rule on the merits of the the case from Texas, though right. he did say in there that he thought that they would have a chance to win and, and on on one of the points. So, 
Look, uh, the, the, even though the, the president gave this the back of the hand and others in the administration gave it the back of the hand, there is the chance that the administration will not win in the end. I mean, just look at what happened with, remember, the, the recess appointments that were made by the president. Yeah. Ultimately, those were struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court. But I think it's also instructive to remember there have been a number of challenges to this administration on a whole host of other issues, and the courts did not agree with that in the end. So just because you don't like it, doesn't mean that it it uh, it gets struck down by the courts, but obviously this is a setback for the administration. Again, this was to be the first the first day that all these applications would begin coming in from children who had been brought to the U.S. illegally. Instead, that's now on hold, and for how long we just don't know the answer to that. Yeah. So this judge issued a nope, you can't ex- go through with this. And but if if they had defied that order, then would they have gone well, I would assume to the next level up? Gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they just keep moving up. So the Supreme Court could say, put the brakes on something if it were to get there and they were about to implement it. I mean, theoretically, the administration could ask for a temporary stay of the judge's uh, R- injunction. Ruling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, theoretically, the Fifth Circuit could grant it and say, okay, yeah, you can start doing that while we figure this other stuff out. But they must have calculated, at least for now, that they might not succeed on that front. And so they have not asked for that emergency stay. That theoretically they could ask the Fifth Circuit, it could go all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And all this is while we're still not even getting to the meat of the case as to whether or not the state of Texas and these other states could go forward and sue. What do you think of Marie Harf's statements about we need to better understand the plight of these terrorists and understand their underlying causes and maybe we should help them find jobs. It's certainly given Republicans another series of talking points, and it's not the first time that something Marie Harf has said in a State Department briefing has been fodder for uh, either talk radio or GOP lawmakers. You know, she's one of those people that I just sort of think she probably drives a lot of Republicans crazy just because. Yeah. And uh, so it probably won't be her last time of uh, being in the spotlight, yes. But it does make for, from time to time, she's given answers to questions, and then it boomerangs back and becomes an issue at, say, the, the, the White House briefing. And I'm sure as, uh, you know, the White House officials would rather not have to worry about that on a weekly basis. Well, her voice drives Shane to be crazy. Well, there you go. See? You know, everybody, you know, what she says drives Republicans crazy. The shrill of her voice drives (laughs) Shane crazy. There you go. (laughs) What about uh, healthcare.gov? And they are thinking about extending the deadline the numbers must not be coming in fast enough. Well, the numbers, uh, they say, they, the White House, announced last night that over 11 million people, 11.4 million, had signed up or re-enrolled for health care coverage. Though, again, that we don't have any figures on how many people have actually paid up for their premiums or everything. So you, one would expect that the real numbers would be lower than that. But that is above their estimates of just a few months ago, Herman. They were talking about maybe 9.2 to 9.9 million. Whether they low-balled it in the hopes that it would go up, I mean, who knows. But they're lower than the original estimates of the Congressional Budget Office from a few years ago. Regardless, we're, uh, there were some people who evidently were in line and trying to finish and could not for any variety of reasons. They have been given a little extra time. Some Democrats would like others to get extra time. I'm not sure that's going to happen or that it would make that big of a difference. Remember, at the end of the month, actually, 200,000 people will lose 
their health insurance coverage through the exchanges because they have not been able to prove to the feds that they are either U.S. citizens or legally here in the country with a legal status. So that will raise almost to about one-third of a million people who've been bumped off the rolls because of immigration status issues. I, you know, Judging from some of the stories, Herman, we did not have the meltdown, and certainly I have not heard from people that we had a year ago with healthcare.gov. But certainly there's still some people out there who were signaling that they were frustrated and couldn't finish. And then um, it, it's still from stories that are coming out today still obvious that the whole system, the back end of the system and more, that it's sort of jerry-rigged still at this point in time and really hasn't been quote-unquote finished. Now, when they quote these numbers, are they counting the numbers from the state exchanges as well? Uh, that would include the state exchanges, yes. And okay. so the, the 15, 16 states who have their own exchange plus all the others who have to go through healthcare.gov. So, yeah, that's all together. And the numbers are definitely higher than they were a year ago. But we never get a breakdown of, okay, is this just people coming out of the woodwork who did not sign up a year ago and they've decided or... Did they lose their insurance because their company, you know, booted them off or was it, you know, we don't really have a very good rundown on where those numbers are. And then complicating things even more is that if people don't pay their monthly premiums, then that number could shrink even more. The White House tried to say, remember earlier, it was late last year when the numbers shrank even more, under 7 million for those who were enrolled in the White House. Uh, the administration, I remember somebody sending me a very tart email saying, wow, a lot of these people could have gotten jobs, and that's why they're no longer being covered through healthcare.gov. Yeah, that's true. Then again, they could have also uh, just not paid their monthly premium either, and that's why they lost their insurance. Well, I know we get a lot of calls from people who say, I can't afford it. It My, my premium tripled. I'm just going to have to, you know, do without. And Well, there is that, and, too. And, and who's the clearing, who's counting those people? Who's the clearing house for the people that have lost insurance or it has become so prohibitively uh, costly that they get one of those exemptions from the exemptions list? Yeah, that's what we don't have a good hold on. So there's a lot of different things there, but I'm sure the administration pleased with the number. It certainly is higher than what they had been predicting just a couple of months ago. Right, right. What else is going on? Uh, we've got, uh, obviously, this week, uh, one thing I, we didn't really get to this week was uh, what about the Keystone XL oil pipeline veto? Remember the the House finished that bill last week? Yeah. A little pull-back-the-curtain thing for you, Herman. I wrote about it earlier this week in my blog, but it sort of got uh, washed over by all the immigration stuff. The Republicans decided not to send the bill to the president right away. They're They're holding on to it. They didn't want him to veto it this week while the Congress was out on break because then the Republicans wouldn't be here to react. So they decided to hold on to the bill. They're going to send it to him probably next week, then hope that he vetoes it while they're around instead of on their uh, President's Day break. So that's why we haven't had an official veto yet on the Keystone XL oil pipeline bill. That would be the third veto of President Obama. But he has to veto it or it becomes law, right? Yes, he only would have 10 days days. uh, to uh, figure out what to do. And I would assume that you know, that's and that's the other thing. Put yourself in, in the shoes of the White House and figure out, would you have a big ceremony to veto it? Would you veto it very quietly? You know, maybe just put out a photograph or just put out a statement. You know, there's a whole there's a whole series of, uh, of things that you have to think about there as to how you want to frame this and how you want to push back on it. Certainly the bottom line is he can veto it, and there are not enough votes in either the House or the Senate to override that veto on the Keystone XL oil pipeline. With that train disaster in West Virginia, I doubt if he wants to make a big deal out of vetoing the Keystone pipeline. 
Well, you certainly would have people who would argue, well, if you had a pipeline, you wouldn't have all that. Uh, there is a lot more oil moving by rail these days simply yep. because the infrastructure isn't there. Uh, obviously, for a lot of Democrats, though, they argue that we shouldn't be relying on oil in the first place, so you shouldn't be shipping it either by pipeline or by rail. That's certainly not an opinion that washes with most Republicans. That's a strong an argument that we ought to be finding jobs for ISIS terrorists. <laughs> well, there you go, my friend. Get on it, would you? Maybe Godfather's Pizza <laughs> ISIS and ISIS terrorists, let's find like them that. jobs, and let's not depend upon that dirty black oil. Oops, I wasn't supposed to say that. That's kind of Watch it, would you there? <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. See you tomorrow, Herman. You're listening to the Herman Cain Show. Delivering trusted solutions. Solutions for a better America. He's telling America what we need to hear and helping activate everyone in the right direction. Herman Cain. Yeah, we'll open the Godfathers in Syria and give them jobs. They can have our pork chop top pizza special. 